Do you ever see those clickbait lists online? They're usually titled 101 films you have to see before you die. They pop up every once in a while. But tell the truth, how many have you actually seen? These movies are so ingrained in the fabric of modern pop culture through references and homages that you'd be forgiven for thinking that you'd actually seen them. So why not join me, Sam, a self-confessed cinephile who currently works in the film and television industry and even went to university to study film and TV. The only issue is, I've not seen many films. And me, Joel, a man who likes films a lot but is constantly described by his friends as overly anal and picky. But I'll let you decide. Each week, we will break down and review a different film, from zany cult classics to what many describe as cinematic masterpieces. Do these films deserve the legacy they've been given, or are they just overrated, bloated rubbish? Let's find out, as this week we discuss There Will Be Blood. This is a 1001 Movies We Have Not Seen. There Will Be Blood the 2007 film directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Do we know Paul Thomas Anderson? Um, uh, He <laughs> directed one of my favourite films from the past few years called Licorice Pizza. But oh, I saw the ads for that, but I couldn't convince my other half to actually go see it. It's a film that I really enjoyed, um, but it's a film I don't think I'd recommend to anyone. <laughs> because uh, it's it's a film... You either like it or you don't. Yeah. And it's one of them where I wouldn't ever want to sit in a room and watch someone else watch it because if they don't get it, they're not going to get it. Yeah. If that makes sense. Is it a movie you have to like properly watch? Not really, no. It's just sort of this coming of age little story with no real stakes. Mm. But it just really resonated with me on like a level. Oh, nice. I, yeah, I just really connected with the main character, and he reminded a lot of me at that age. And I was like, "Huh." So the s- story behind this episode really is that I saw in an episode of Ted Lasso, which is a brilliant show. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant show. The characters in the show talk about who's the best actor of all time, and they all went, "Oh, yeah, Daniel Day Lewis." And I thought to myself. I have never seen a Daniel Day-Lewis film. And you asked me, and I responded, I've never seen a Daniel Day-Lewis film. Which is amazing, considering his filmography, because I think he's described as, like, the most awarded actor, like, one of the best actors of all time. Yeah, well... And I've seen nothing. Now now we have seen one. Now we have seen something. And, and However, I, oh. it's hard to tell if an, an actor's amazing or not based on one film. Yeah. Because they could be doing a Michael Caine. I mean, if this was a one-hit wonder for him, what a film. No, but we don't we don't know the range of his acting. We don't like, know. You know, Eddie Redmayne's a really good actor and like... Um, what's his face from Split? Uh, James McAvoy. James McAvoy is an amazing actor. Brilliant. Because you've seen his like massive range, yeah, from and from... ability to totally sell a character. Whereas it's hard to tell how good somebody is. I mean, he's charismatic, but I don't know how good an actor he is. I mean, he's very good in this film, though. He is, yes, standout uh, performance, yeah, uh, yeah, easily. And 
if this was the only film he'd ever made, people, I think, would still... Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's... I would argue, though, that there's another character in this that shines just as much and another actor in this that shines just as much. Eli, the guy who plays Eli. Oh, Paul Dano. Paul Dano? Dano. Dano. However yeah. you say it. He's amazing. Is he? This. I think he is. I don't know if I agree with oh, you. Oh, he gives, gives off big old Game of Thrones Joffrey vibes. Yeah, so I'll give you that. And like unpleasant and like oh, all his little emotions and stuff. But really I th- good. I think my issue with him in is almost every scene he's in, he's opposite Daniel Day-Lewis. And Daniel Day-Lewis yeah. is chewing up the scenery so much. Maybe I just didn't notice how good he was. Guys, oh, I really thought he went pretty toe-to-toe. I didn't come out of this film going, oh, Paul Dana was mind-blowing. This That's a performance of a lifetime. But I did with Daniel Day-Lewis. Did you really? I really did, yeah. And this sort of film's grown on me quite a lot. Um, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Should we do the plot, plot, plot? Let's do the plot. Mm. In 1898, Daniel Plainview finds Silver while prospecting in New Mexico but breaks his leg. Dragging himself from the pit, he takes a sample to the assay office and receives a silver and gold claim. In 1902, he discovers oil near Los Angeles and establishes a drilling company. Following the death of a worker in an accident, Daniel adopts the man's orphan son. The boy, H.W., becomes his nominal business partner, allowing Daniel to present himself to potential investors as a family man. I will say, first hour of this film, didn't get it. It was very slow. So slow. And you... I mean, even... There's no twists and turns as well. It's just kind of linear and very plain. It's... For me, I mean, I'll discuss it later. For me, it's a big old metaphor for how evil capitalism is and how it corrupts you. Yes. Like, I well, don't I don't think there's a... There might be a deeper meaning there with religion and stuff, but I think that is the message that this movie is pushing. For sure. I, I mean, for me, it was even plainer than that. It was a demonstration of greed and vanity. Yeah. Greed being Daniel and vanity being Eli. And they're the two pillars of the story. Yeah, but they're they're both still sort of chasing that money, aren't they? It's that capitalist dream. I don't think Eli is chasing money as much. He needs money for his vanity. Yeah. But Daniel's straight greed, whereas Eli wants to be seen as the prophet. He wants to be seen as a saint. He wants to be seen. But I I don't think... Daniel doesn't need to be seen. He's actually quite quiet. He just lusts after money and power i mean he's committed i'll give him that like there's a whole part of this film you just don't see like he breaks his leg simple and then you see him drag himself out of the pit but he's in the middle of nowhere like we there's nothing around and we see him drag himself and then it just cuts and he's made it to the assay office 
and he's like lying on the ground and it's like how long did that take him how committed sets, is this it, man yeah it sets up his determination doesn't it easily yeah and it is it's something you can so easily like look over and well that i was about to say that like i realized that in retrospect whilst i was watching the film i was thinking cool this scene's long yeah oh this whole film doesn't i mean it finished like the credits roll and you're just sort of sat in silence and this is a film you have to have i think a little bit of time to mull it over and think about it but this hasn't left my brain since i watched it yes almost Um, once a day i probably think about a part of this film and maybe it's because i knew the podcast was coming up but i was just like oh god yeah that and then that and Oh, he had to drag himself there, and it was just great. Hard to say anything more about the first part of the film. As I said, it it, it was nicely textured, but very linear, and not a lot to talk about, really, apart from that he displays himself as a family man, and he does a good job of that as well. Yeah, I mean... I think I, mean, I, the f- I, was, yeah. I was convinced as a, as a member of the audience that he was. Yeah, but is he? I think we'll get into that. In 1911, Daniel is approached by Paul Sunday, a young man who tells him of an oil deposit under his family's property in Little Boston, California. Daniel visits the Sunday's property and meets Paul's identical twin brother, Eli, a local preacher. Daniel attempts to purchase the farm from the Sundays at a bargain price under the ruse of using it to hunt quail but his motives are questioned by Eli, who knows the land has drilling potential. In exchange for the property, Eli demands $10,000 for his church. An agreement is made and Daniel acquires all available land in and around the Sunday property, save for one holdout, William Bandy, after Daniel neglected to negotiate with him. Fancy cutting costs, didn't they? Identical twins. But never on screen together. <laughs> well. Oh, we just need one speaking actor. There's a story behind this, Joel. Um, so Paul D- Dano. I'm going to call Dano. That's what I'm going to say. I'm not going to say Dano because mm-hmm. it sounds Australian. Paul mm-hmm. Dano. Um, Paul Dano was cast as Paul. He's, okay. He wasn't an established actor. This was one of his first major sort of film roles. So he just had this small bit part as Paul. They then cast another actor as Eli, who, for one reason or another, it's not clear, he might have butted heads with um, Daniel Day-Lewis. He just wasn't playing the character the way maybe the director thought he was. So Mm. two weeks into shooting, they let him go. and Only two weeks as well. Very, yeah. But they'd shot quite a lot because they shot this film as in chronological order as they could. So quite a lot of those early scenes have been shot. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, they turned around to Paul Dano and said, "Um, do you want this bigger part? Do you want to play identical twins? So as opposed to Daniel Day-Lewis, who got a year to prepare for this role, Paul Dano got like a week to prepare for Eli. I mean, he killed it then. Going back to my previous point, he killed it. I mean, fair play. Yeah. Yeah. 
was brilliant. But that is, and I'll go back to my previous point where I said once the film finished, I didn't get that impression because obviously you don't know the background. And yeah. I think this is. I know we don't normally watch films in hindsight. Oh no, it's illegal here. But knowing that piece of information and the fact he had to get his teeth into a completely different character with like a week to go and opposite Daniel Day-Lewis. Well, Paul Dano, I know you're listening. Fair play. Big um, fan. Um, big fan. I thought you did a great job. Not in hindsight. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Because uh, I don't watch I am. I hindsight. I thought, you were, I thought you did a great job the first time. Absolutely happy to eat my words here and put my hands up and say I am wrong. Mm. Because fair play. Round of applause to Paul Dano for that. Do you reckon the original actor not doing it had anything to do with the fact that Daniel Day-Lewis is incredibly famous for being like the most meta actor of all time and that he never breaks character even when it's not when they're not filming. Yeah, I think the official phrase is method acting. Oh, method acting. Method acting. He's a method actor, as in he just embodies the character while he's filming. There's been a few instances Which, of it with other people, but I think he's, yeah, I think he's quite famous for doing it. Which must be hard, because his character's not a nice person. In this no, film. and I think that might be one of the reasons, because it is. I mean, there was a famous example recently of Jared Leto on the set of Morbius was method acting. Oh, um, he did it for Joker as well and sent, like, dead rats to people. Yeah, and, like, used condoms and stuff, which is oh, awful. Um, it's varied results, I feel. If it works <laughs> yeah, for Daniel Day-Lewis, it yeah, works. I mean, I, I, I don't think... I don't think I heard about Jared Leto method acting before these last couple of roles. And they've been his worst performances standout worst performances in anything so i think he should just give it a break yeah have a sandwich be normal it'd be normal but <laughs> be I... as normal as mega superstar singer director actor jared leto can possibly yeah that be. quadruple threat that he is yeah um a, a very nearly, skilled man he, he's a very skilled man we can't deny that as as someone who works in the industry I can see method acting as being an issue um, because it probably does make other people's lives harder. Well, it must do, especially the yeah. character of Daniel. Jeez. Like simple things like having a conversation with someone. Also that accent, uh, oh. that old Western accent. It's yeah. <laughs> Fair play. It clearly works for Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. But we weren't there. And do not know how intense that was. It's still very what's going on here, isn't it? Oh, massively, yeah. You're just sort of, you're not fully understanding what's going on. Um, And do you ever fully understand what's going on? Probably. I think so. I think you get, I, I, you get a grasp on it. But it is literally just a, a story you're dropped into and then picked out of at the end. Yeah, there there is a turning point for me. I think it's in the next section of plot, so let's go through that. Yeah. Eli asks to bless the oil well before drilling begins. Daniel initially agrees, but refuses to allow it when the time comes. The oil drilling begins, and a series of misfortunes occur. 
an accident kills one worker and a gas blowout deafens HW and destroys the drilling infrastructure. Eli blames the disasters on the well not having been blessed. When Eli publicly demands the money still owed to him, Daniel beats him and humiliates him. At the dinner table that night, Eli attacks and berates his father for having trusted Daniel. So, for me, the big turning point in this film was that gas fire. Suddenly, you just got this amazing silhouette, nighttime shot. It does get nighttime very quickly, I might add. Um, but you get this incredible bit of cinematography. I mean, just like jaw-dropping cinema moment. The colours, the acting, everything. It's just brilliant getting i'm glad you picked up on the getting dark quickly because that is almost took me out of it a little bit i'm going every time the camera angle changed it probably yeah yeah it was very it went from broad daylight to darkness (laughs) within about four shots it was pitch black i was going oh interesting but i mean technically (laughs) brilliant brilliant piece like a massive set piece this um looks practical to me I don't know. Yeah. Um, no, I, there was no CG weirdness for me. Nothing took me out of it. It looked so real. It looks rich yeah. and vibrant. And I loved, I loved the sort of like domino effect. It's like you get. It's like the thing collapses, then the thing explodes, and HW goes flying. And there's just that really good shot. I, was it one take? It was very close to it where it starts off in the cabin with, with Daniel and they're running up towards the the rig as it's like exploded. And it just looks amazing. Everything seems quite practical here. Like I believe that that hut was that distance away from this practically built rig. And it, there was yeah. a real sense of realism in this film. Um, yes. It didn't feel like it was filmed on a volume stage, on a green screen. It felt like they went out to the middle of nowhere and shot this film. Absolutely. Especially when like characters are moving across a scene or something. I think little things that take you out of the moment for me is like, you know when there's a couple of cuts with somebody walking somewhere and they just get there and they've gone up a massive hill and they're not even out of breath or something. You don't have that in this film. Especially with like Daniel Day-Lewis beating up uh, the character of Eli. Um, he is out of breath and he's wheezing and he's I mean, probably doing it. I, I got I, the I impression honestly, he was really slapping him there. Yeah, I, I really felt they were hitting each other. Like, w- yeah. In multiple points in this film. Uh, the character Daniel and the character of Eli hit each other, and I, they look real. Either it's the best play fighting I've ever seen, or they're actually hitting each other, and I think they're actually hitting yeah, each other. Yeah, there's, there's a way you can hit each other without hitting each other, if that makes sense. But they're definitely making contact here. They're just pulling their slaps like professionals do. But I think Daniel Day-Lewis is going for it a little bit more than maybe he should, and maybe that comes down to the method acting. <laughs> Yeah, and the other actor quitting. <laughs> yeah, maybe because of this scene. Um, I mean, I'm still eating my words because Eli, Paul Dano, sat at that dinner table with his father 
That's a great scene. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's This is about the turning point in the film, I think. This is about the hour mark. Yes. And this is this, when this got me suddenly, in. yeah, the slapping him in the mud and humiliating him, that's suddenly when I almost sat up in my chair and I went, oh, okay. Oh, hello. Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> it's like uh, there's a switch that goes on. Suddenly he's not just acting. Do you know what I mean? It starts getting physical. It starts to make a little bit of sense. And I start to get it. Yeah, um, the plot starts coming together, and you start, you start seeing because the Daniel you'll see on screen for the first hour is a front. Oh yeah, and you start seeing that front being broken. Firstly, when there is the fire, and at first he's caring for HW, and then he rips himself away uh, to go look at the the project and what's going on there. Yeah, you realise that the. The act, the the Slips. presenting himself as a family man with HW. Do you know what I mean? He's not really caring for this boy. It's an ulterior motive to yeah. to make more money and to secure more deals, basically. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. A man arrives at Daniel's doorstep, claiming to be his half-brother, Henry. Daniel hires him. A jealous HW sets fire to the house, intending to kill Henry. Daniel sends HW to a school for the deaf in San Francisco. A standard oil representative offers to buy out Daniel's local interests. But, after a perceived slight, Daniel refuses and instead strikes a deal with Union Oil to build a pipeline to the California coast. However, Bandy's ranch remains an impediment. Right, so... I had no idea HW was going to a school for the deaf. I I I thought that was such an extreme scene when I first watched it and was so like taken left field because I thought he just jumped on a random train and then just jumped off and left him just to go about America on the trains and he was going to be a train boy forever. Well, I mean, I think what you did there is you experienced that scene from HW's point of view. Who yeah. didn't know where he was going. Why don't you just write down, oh, I'm going to take you somewhere where you can get help. Like, <laughs> why don't you just... It's one of those scenes, isn't it, where it would make sense if two characters just had a conversation. Yeah. Um, I but... do hate it when they create fake drama because people just don't talk. Yeah, narratively, it's that shock value, isn't it, that he just gets up and abandons him. And I think it's yeah. to show the coldness of Daniel. Because a a parent would talk to their child and go, listen, this is becoming an issue. Um, You've just tried to murder us in our sleep. You're a sadistic little child. That Um, also took took me out of the... I know we just said that we just got into the film. This made me wobble again because him doing a line of like Petra or whatever it was to his uncle's bed was a bit wow. Yeah. We've not seen anything like this from this character just whatsever. So left suddenly field. he's a full-on arsonist. Arsonist, sadistic child. Yeah, a normal parent would have that conversation. Mm. But I don't think Daniel actually really cares at all about HW. Just... And I don't think he ever does. I don't think Daniel has that ability to love anyone. I think Daniel's one and only love is money. 
and making yeah. more of it. And to be fair, that is good justification for HW being a real bad egg. Yeah. It's it's one of those where this movie shows less than it than happens, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I think there is a lot more. It does quite well to show you certain scenes with Daniel just sort of ignoring HW and leaving mm. him to his own devices. But there's a real child neglect situation going on here and sort of the mental impact that it's having on HW. Yeah. And making him a deaf child doesn't help the situation, does it? Because all of a sudden you don't know what's going on. In the- yeah. Yeah, it, it means he can't communicate um, properly to the audience. Which I suppose lets you draw your own conclusions and create your own narrative and so forth. Um, but it does create some really awkward scenes, which Daniel Day-Lewis has to act like crazy around. Yeah. And you really see him go crazy when he's in that meeting, don't you, with Standard Oil? Because Yeah, I don't really get that. And I still don't really get that. Because he doesn't, he doesn't really care about HW. So why did he get so worked up? Because I, I think I, it's the illusion, isn't it? It's the illusion he's a family man. And that's the narrative he's pushing. And But really, he just wants to go after the more profitable deal. Yeah, but standard oil... I mean, slag him off, don't they? They, yeah. they, in not so many words, call him a bad father. And it's in public. He is. He, yeah, he is. But as a narcissist that he is... Would like a sociopath wouldn't accept that. Do you know what I mean? That's it might be the truth, but that's the last thing he wants to hear, and in public as well. He's got to make a show here. Cool. I think you need a degree in psychology for this. (laughs) I think you do a little bit. But then this is a character that is he he likes to publicly humiliate people. He publicly humiliates Eli, who again, yeah, but every time he's publicly called out. He makes this show. Do you know what I mean? He slaps people to humiliate them. Yeah. Um, and he's not going to, sl- he doesn't slap the Standard Oil representative, but he does the next best thing and he talks him, talks down to him in public and then goes behind his back and strikes a deal with their direct competitor. Daniel becomes suspicious of Henry and confronts him one night at gunpoint. Henry confesses that he was a friend of the real Henry who died of tuberculosis and had then impersonated Henry in the hopes that Daniel could give him a job. Enraged, Daniel murders the imposter and buries his body. Daniel drinks heavily and weeps. I don't understand how he susses this out. No. Sort of comes out of nowhere. But yeah, and yeah, I don't think it's just at any from point him asking for more money. It's but yeah, it's weird because I think Daniel liked having that companionship. I think he actually liked having a brother. I mean, he did have a brother. Um, yeah, but yeah, something in his brain, and maybe it's sort of that lunatic sociopathic narcissistic streak in his head where he maybe doubts everyone who gets close to him yeah 
he suddenly maybe he just held the gun to him I and mean, went are you my real brother and if henry air quotes had gone yeah of course i am he'd have probably put the gun down and been fine but the fact that he turns around and says no actually i'm not your real brother died of tuberculosis and i'm impersonating him it's like calling yeah. his bluff almost and um, that's why he's so it's angry it's definitely going to make daniel worse isn't it because it proves his fears right that people are just after him for his money exactly and that is and the that one he thing he wants you... to consolidate his greed and keep it safe exactly the next morning daniel is awakened by bandy who knows of daniel's crime and wants him to publicly repent in eli's church in exchange for an easement for the pipeline running across his land as part of his baptism eli humiliates daniel and coerces him into confessing that he abandoned his son Later, while the pipeline is being built, H.W. reunites with Daniel and Eli leaves Little Boston for missionary work. Great scene here. Like sort of Bandy knowing full well what he's done. Do you know what I mean? He's, the man's gotten drunk and fallen asleep on a freshly dug grave. It doesn't take a genius to figure out what he's done. Yeah. And then almost a comedy beat as well. When he's like, you should come to my church and get baptised and repent for your sins. I, and... I like how this scene happens as well, because it's Eli then in control, but just as quickly Eli loses control. Yeah. And Daniel s- steals the light again. Well, Eli goes too far, doesn't he? Yeah. He literally starts to slap him in the middle of the church, which... You, this is what's so great about Daniel Day Lewis. You see the switch happen. You see the character take control and Mm. switch the narrative, as you said, sort of. Because yeah, I did do it. Like I'm going to make you look like a fool here because I'm going to repent for everything. Everyone's going to forgive me. Yeah, and suddenly I can get away with everything again. Balls well back in my court. I've got my pipeline, and I can continue to make money. And I can re-establish my family man status. Yeah. It's a brilliant scene. Marketing spin, isn't it? It's a great marketing spin, like any true capitalist would do. Exactly. It's just compounding his character, isn't it? It's amazing. In 1927, H.W. marries Mary Sunday, the youngest sister of Paul and Eli. Daniel now extremely wealthy but a raging alcoholic, lives alone in a large mansion. H.W. asks his father to dissolve their partnership so that he can establish his own independent drilling company in Mexico. Daniel angrily mocks H.W.'s deafness before revealing his true origins as a bastard from a basket. H.W. tells Daniel he is glad that they are not related and walks out. Daniel jeers at HW as he departs. Big old time jump here. Yeah. Um yeah. I think it was this this was all a bit on the nose for me. How greed doesn't make you happy and everything like that. Uh, yeah. How he just mopes around his massive mansion. It's a big old money doesn't buy you happiness, isn't it? Absolutely. And this is a character who has spent his life. He's paranoid and he's pushed everyone away who likes him. Yes. And so he, this is 
this is where this kind of character would end up. Do you know what I mean? Like, true, very true. He probably has been married in the he... time, and it's probably all fallen apart. Because it it is interesting. Because when he's earning his wealth, he doesn't spend it. No, he hoards it, doesn't he? He's like this dragon who just hoards what he has. But it's also that when you've... Because Daniel does come into money quite early on in his life. Um, Yeah, he's already extremely wealthy right at the start of the film. And I can imagine if you are that level of extremely wealthy, you would question literally every single person who comes into your life. You would think that people want something from you and it sometimes get very paranoid don't it they? would really make you paranoid like yeah. this is pre-celebrity this man is not really a celebrity but he is probably the richest man in this area yeah um Does... so yeah when you spend your life questioning literally every personal relationship you've ever had mentally what the hell that would do to you i don't know but then he was already in Nutter beforehand, wasn't he? Was he, though? Or is it the money that has driven him mad? Because we, I, we, no, we I see... No, I think a well-adjusted person can deal with having money and wealth. But at the beginning of the I film... there has to be an, an, an initial flaw. Yeah, at the beginning of the film, though, we see he gets his hands dirty. He's digging in yeah. that mine alone. And then he's still hands-on when it comes to making the first well. Do you know what I mean? When HW gets injured, he's one of the first people to run in and save but again, him. That, isn't that a part of not being able to trust anyone yeah. to do a job and not being able to... But that he's still dirty, he's still getting his hands dirty. And then towards yeah. the end, I feel, you no longer seeing him getting his hands dirty and it becomes much more corporate and much Strongly more... Strongly disagree. He very much likes getting his hands dirty, as with the next plot point. While Daniel... Drunk is in the private bowling alley of his mansion. He is visited by Eli, now a radio preacher. Eli offers to sell Daniel the property rights to the Bandy Ranch, since Bandy has recently died. Daniel agrees on the condition that Eli denounces his faith and credibility. Eli acquiesces, after which Daniel coldly reveals that the property is now worthless, because his neighbouring wells have already drained the same oil reservoir. Desperate, Eli confesses to having lost money in the 1929 stock market crash and having strayed morally. Daniel taunts Eli before chasing him around the bowling alley and killing him with a bowling pin. When his butler appears to ask about the commotion, Daniel announces, I'm finished. The end. I love this scene. That I drink your milkshake speech, I think is brilliant. It was very dramatic tension running throughout. It's, and I love the Eli-Daniel switch where the Mm. scene starts. Daniel is literally passed out on his bowling alley, miserable. I mean, this is a sad excuse of a man at this point. And Eli comes in, this glorious preacher, presenting himself as so successful. And you feel like Eli's got all the cards. He's like, I've got the one thing you want. It's money. This is I'm going to get what I want from you. And there is that brilliant switch between where Daniel is like, oh, I'll do it. But you've got to admit that sort of God is wrong. 
And Eli's like, I don't want to do that. But Eli is so desperate, and that's when you get that switch. Suddenly, Eli's the desperate one. Daniel's posture changes. He, like, you get that height difference all of a sudden. Daniel's now towering over Eli, and it, it's, it's staged brilliantly. I really liked this scene. I think it encapsulates the whole movie, doesn't it? It, like, captures... It's like a good conclusion to a good essay. Yeah, it sums everything up perfectly. It, it shows that Daniel's greed conquers Eli's vanity, but both are awful people. But Yeah, both are still equally terrible people. Um, and you, the moment you think a little bit more about Daniel's situation after this ends, he's still alone, he's still miserable, and has this really got him anywhere? No, not really. But he is who he is, he can't, he can't this change is, who he is, not even to be happy. Yeah, he's gonna, this is how Daniel's gonna live the rest of his life alone. And he's going to die like this. And he's got no one to give his money to. What is it all for? Pointless. To people who... Enjoy the normal things in life. Yeah. Money does not buy you happiness. No. It helps. It helps, but in the end... Not really. Anyway, before we get into anything too heavy, because this is not a heavy podcast. Um, <laughs> so, the film as a whole. It's one of those ones where it's it's not a nice film. It's not a nice film. But I did enjoy it. I really enjoyed it, but I didn't come out of this happy. But I didn't come out of this depressed, if that makes sense. It wasn't like Same. a taxi driver. Like it- yeah, I was about to say exactly the same thing. It's not like Taxi Driver, which which just made me feel rotten. Yeah, I was just going, that was an interesting character study over exactly. two and a half hours. I thought that was an interesting film. I thought it was ironic that the reason I watched this film was from watching Ted Lasso, which is the complete opposite of this, <laughs> which makes you feel good about humanity. This makes you feel bad about humanity. Yeah. But not in a negative way. It's not. And to go back to my point I made right at the beginning about Licorice Pizza, it's a film I would really struggle to recommend to people. Yeah, say because I wouldn't. I wouldn't say to anybody, yeah, go watch this film. No, because you're not making it through that first hour. It's got no. there's scenes that I would recommend people watch, but without context. Yeah of the film the scenes aren't super gonna make sense but like the daniel slapping eli scene i'd love people to watch the oil rig exploding and burning down i would recommend people watch the bowling alley scene i would recommend people watch but without the context that these characters have and the relationships they're not gonna have the same impact on you for sure for sure, uh, yeah. I just couldn't. I couldn't imagine putting it on with friends and fa- or family. No, I wouldn't go. But 
I did enjoy it. Yeah, it's a f- so it's gonna be it's gonna be above a five. Yeah, scores on the doors. Scores on the doors. It is gonna be above a five. Because I did enjoy it. Mine's gonna be above a seven. You're gonna be above a seven. Wow. I- I'm gonna give it a six point five. Oh, seven point five for me. Seven overall, then. Seven overall. Seven yeah. overall. I think I think it deserves a seven out of ten. It's well acted. It looks really good. Do you know what I really need, which people who listen to the podcast may enjoy as well, is a Joel and Sam IMDb board of all our combined scores. Yeah, we should we should ra- we should films. get a, an official ranking going. Yeah, it's. I can't, was it Casablanca we said it was? Where we said it's a 7 out of 10, but that's the most it can get. Because yeah. I can't imagine how you would... How would you improve this film? I can't mm. think of a way to do it. And I can't think of taking anything out of this film. Maybe stuff from that first hour, but I think a lot of that in hindsight really goes towards building the character of Daniel. And understanding this, him. Again, with my scoring, if it didn't make me laugh hysterically or cry mm. or feel an extremely strong emotion, then I can't give it too high a score. This this had really boring bits. I, you can't get around it. it. had some boring bits. However, it had some wow moments that did move me. So it's kind of balanced itself. Yeah. I agree with you there. Which I don't, which is why I didn't give it as high a score as you did, because I think, especially as we watched this film like a week and a half ago, you, the further you get from a film, the more you just remember the good bits and kind of forget the bad bits. Yes. Um. Yeah, I've definitely forgotten how bored I was in that first hour. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the highs of the second hour and a half sudden make you forget them and i think that's a recurring theme with a lot of films is films go so hard in the last half an hour they make you forget that the first half of the film was not good yeah once you're in the cinema you're trapped yeah and you're you're (laughs) stuck with that final half an hour which is mind-blowing and you forget sort of that build-up so this film joel was nominated for eight academy awards Wow. Best picture, best director, yeah. best actor oh. uh, for Daniel yeah. Day-Lewis. Best yeah, adapted yeah. screenplay, because this was no. based on a book. Best art direction, best cinematography, yeah. best film yeah. editing, and best sound no. editing. No. It won for Daniel Day-Lewis, best actor, yeah. and best cinematography. Yeah. Those are the two that deserve it the most. Yeah. Absolutely. Adapted screenplay? Hmm. No, it's yeah, it's a book, isn't no. it? And the sound I didn't think was anything special, the music or anything. Yeah. Didn't stand out to me. Maybe maybe we didn't see it in the cinema, so we don't and know. The how directing it the directing didn't particularly stand out to me either. I re- I think some of the staging was really good and sort of the power dynamics that were demonstrated by the staging mm-hmm. meant that I agree that this... Sh- I don't think it should have won, but I think it, it deserved the nomination. Nice. Right then, Sam. What are we watching next week? Next week, Joel, 
We're watching Rain Man. Oh, that's the maths one. Is it about gambling? Rain Man? I don't know. Okay. I know it's got a very good cast. Of... Oh, well. Yeah. I won't tell you. We'll See you it. all next week, I suppose. Is that your outro? Ah, yeah, it'll do. And that's probably one of the best you've ever done. See you next ah. week. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the 1001 Movies We Have Not Seen podcast. You can subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice or follow us on Insta at 1001 Movies Not Seen Pod. We have new episodes every Thursday. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week. That's the one with the, the, the meme with the sums and stuff, isn't it? From The Hangover. No, that's the hangover, Joel. Crap joke. <laughs> <laughs>